Hello, everyone. I'm Brandon Marcello, and this is the Auburn Undercover Roundtable Podcast. We haven't done one of these in a while. I'm joined by Philip Marshall and Keith Niebuhr. Uh, you all know them at AuburnUndercover.com. Guys, it's been a while since we've sat down and talked football and recruiting. It has. It has. It's about that time, though. <laughs> yeah, it's about that time. We're recording this on a Thursday, the eve of the start of preseason camp. A lot of things to discuss as it involves preseason camp, of course. But I want to go to you, Philip, first, and we'll just go around the table here. What are you most interested in seeing here over these first couple of weeks of preseason camp here at Auburn? Well, I think the offensive line, obviously, to me, is the uh, is the number one question. I, I don't. I don't really have much questions about any real position on defense. Uh, the offensive line, I think the, uh, you know, even without uh, Will Hastings and Eli Stowe, they have some very talented guys at wide receiver, but they're also guys who have not been tremendously, other than Ryan Davis, I should say, uh, have not been tremendously productive. Uh, and that, that may be because they haven't really had a chance to be over the last couple of years. And I'm curious to see, uh, how that plays out, and obviously who, 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 who jumps up there at running back? Though I, I, I guess I'm in a minority, maybe, but uh, I, I, I really think that Cam Martin has a chance to be a, to be a special running back. Uh, a lot of people seem to think he's too small. I mean, he's not huge, but he's, he's also not some tiny little scat back runner out of there either. That'd be the main ones, I think. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, it's the offensive line, obviously. I want to see, uh, you know, I want to see who ends up at center. I want to see how the tackles perform. You know, Prince Tego Winago obviously has a ton of ability, but, you know, maybe he, the ability hasn't matched this on-field success yet. But another area that, that very few people are talking about that I'm real curious about is special teams. You know, for Not just the return guys, but your place kicker, Anders Carlson, and your punter. Now, who's the punter going to be? Is it going to be the newcomer, Aaron Seapost, the former Australian rules footballer, professional footballer, I should say? Or is it going to be somebody else, one of the returning guys? And then, you know, Anders Carlson has this big leg, but until, you, you know, until you're playing in a live game, you just don't know. You know, is his leg bigger than his older brother, Daniel Carlson's? I mean, you guys would know better than me. I think the word is it is. But what does he do when the lights are on, uh, when there's, uh, you know, 11 guys trying to get that football uh, you know, special teams are so important and, and really wasn't a strength for Auburn last year outside of obviously Daniel Carlson. I know that sounds, sounds weird. You know, he was so good, but other than that, it wasn't a strength and that's, you know, this hidden yardage is so important in SEC games. It's so hard to go 80 yards on 10 plays. You need big plays here and there. Uh, so any advantage you can get uh, five yards here, five yards there, 10 yards here on a return, a block kick, uh, a big return, you know, all that stuff really does add up when you're playing the Alabamas and Georgias of the world. You know, we saw that, I think it was a muff kick by Georgia in last year's game, and that really turned the game for Auburn. Uh, and, and I think, I want to say a few years earlier, a muffed kick by Georgia, excuse me, by Auburn turned the game in Georgia's favor. So special teams, very few people talk about them except when you lose. And uh, But I'm really curious to see how, how these guys, you know, who, who wins the jobs and then obviously how they perform. Yeah, Auburn's punt coverage unit last year uh, ranked 115th nationally in net punting average. That definitely, if it just improved uh, to the top half of the country, maybe they win another game um, just because of field position uh, with some issues there. Obviously, they've put more of an onus on 
coverage units and obviously having Aaron coming in as a potential punter, they believe should help that. And of course, you know, Philip, I'm there with you with the offensive line. And it's going to be interesting to see the mixing and matching JB Grimes possibly does, especially along that right, right. side from the center spot to right tackle, you know, Mike Horton possibly moving to center. Does Calvin Ashley move inside to guard? And let's not forget about Brodarius Ham and Tayshawn Manning. Those guys were getting some pretty good reviews in the spring and the offseason at the guard positions. So they could potentially move them move them up if Mike Horton moves to center. So very interesting what J.B. Grimes has to do here. It's really a cram session for him because he's got two weeks to figure out maybe what his lineup's going to kind of be, and then the following two weeks for game prep, kind of having those that same uh, unit together as a first-team unit and having them gel together and getting used to playing alongside each other. It's going to be – I think J.B. Grimes has probably got the, the busiest and toughest job of all the assistants this preseason. I agree. And, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 as far as who will be the punter, I know they will be very disappointed if the Australian kid is not the punter. Uh, he's, still got it, he's still got it to win, of course. But all you have to do to know the importance of it is look back to 2013 and Stephen Clark, who was remarkable at kicking the ball dead inside the 10-yard line, had a whole lot to do with that team winning 12 games. I mean, a, a whole lot to do with it. And since then, they've just been just pretty much ordinary or worse at, at, at punter. And, uh, and and there's no question that cost you because uh, those are yards that matter. And it is. It's, you got a defense like Auburn, if you're backing people up inside the – 15, 10-yard line, they're going to have a hard time scoring. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, Auburn's offense is getting field position near midfield. Right, right. and uh, so that's – and I agree with you about the offensive line, and and uh, uh, I, I chatted with JB a little bit last Saturday uh, when I went by over there during the, the big recruiting day, and he, uh, you know, he feels – he feels like that it's – I don't know if pressure is the right word, but he feels a lot of responsibility because – he thinks they are the biggest unanswered question, and I, I think he's right. Yep, he has definitely set, made uh, no qualms about this uh, being the uh, the weak point of the of the, uh, of the team. I remember he told me that during the after the spring. He said, I, we're going to own it, and we're going to try and become a better unit. He says they've got the talent. They've just got to mold it together, as he says, mold the clay. Um, right. let's, let's go to the bot and get a message board quickly. We asked some, uh, some of our VIP subscribers for some questions as it involves football and other topics. Uh, War Eagle 008 asks, which freshman do you believe will have the biggest impact this fall? What do you think, uh, Philip? We'll start with you. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting what we take. It could be the punter. Uh, I think that's a, a, a distinct possibility because of all the things we just talked about. Uh, you know, you got guys with speed and, 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 and whatnot. And, uh, and those guys always have a chance to play. It's, it's, you know, I think you'll see some freshman backup backups on defense. I don't think you'll see a freshman play in a, a real significant role, but there's always a possibility of wide receiver or, or running back. You, you know, guys often come back different in the fall than they were in the spring. So I think you, know, you got to watch out for some Martin and he was very highly thought of. And see if he's taking a big step forward. I guess if I was going to pick one, Brandon and, and Philip, it may be well, obviously the punter, Aaron Sipos, but but one besides him, I'll go with Quindarius Monday, the the outstanding safety from Atlanta, tall and wiry, but he's put on a lot of weight 
And even when he was 175 pounds, he was extremely physical. He always played as if he was a guy who thought he was 220 pounds. He was like the the, the dog that's that's small and skinny, barking like a German shepherd. But now he's got the weight to back it up. Uh, physical, intense, smart, coachable, all that. And then obviously, you know, they've got a lot of good secondary players returning. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but I think there is an opportunity for uh, for somebody to step forward at safety. And also, he has the added versatility that. If you have an emergency situation or you're playing four wideouts or five wideouts, he has some coverage abilities as well. He can flip his hips a little bit. So I'll say Quindarius Monday, but after Aaron Sipos, Philip, I agree with you on that one. It's so weird hearing you say Quindarius. I'm so used to calling him Smoke Monday now. When you say Quindarius, I was like, who is that? Uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to go with uh, – I agree with all those picks. I'm going to go ahead and go with Anthony Schwartz. Uh, the freshman receiver, he just got on campus, but they have been talking up his speed. He's been talking up his speed. I think they'll try to find a way to get him involved, whether it's as a quote-unquote true receiver going out for some routes, but I think maybe he could be a speed sweep guy as they kind of lose that with Eli Stove sitting on the sidelines with his ACL injury. Of course, they've got several players could fill that role, but maybe they give Anthony Schwartz a shot there, and if he shines then look out. Maybe his role expands throughout the season. Yeah, a guy with that kind of speed, uh, uh, if he can just pick up what to do, uh, that's uh, you know, get the ball in somebody's hands that can run like that. That's a uh, that 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 gets that gets the attention of defenses. And like you said on on, on the speed sweep, but uh, I mean, you're talking about a parent from everything I hear, a world class sprinter. So uh, that's that's something you'd like to have. You know, maybe the other thing with Anthony is, and, and if you already said this, I, I just might not have caught it, but potentially kickoff returns at some point. You know, he, you know, he, he could be a guy that just go, gets you to the twenty, the twenty, the twenty, but then the next one's eighty. So he's so fast, and and when you see him in person, guys, it's the, uh, you know, I've had the uh, opportunity to watch him compete. It's that acceleration that uh, like nothing you've ever really seen before. He's he's easily one of the fastest five guys I've probably ever seen on the football field, dating back to when I was a kid watching Willie Galt, Bo Jackson, and Herschel Walker. I mean, the guy is that fast. And it, the, when they say world-class speed, they don't mean football speed. You know, no, They mean this is a guy that's probably going to be pushing 10 seconds uh, or below in the 100 meters very soon. Yeah, he set the state of Florida high school record in the 100-meter uh, me- sprint, uh, participated overseas in the, some world games. So world-class speed indeed for him. Keith? Uh, also, another question for you, just on the recruiting front. Um, number one, we could see a few commitments coming for Auburn here in the next few weeks. And number two, are there any linebacker defensive line names we're starting to hear a little bit right now after all these commitments over the last few weeks? Yeah, well, I'll tell you the first guy, uh, when you say it could be a commitment coming in the next few weeks, there's a few guys to watch. One of them is uh, Nehemiah Pritchett, a defensive back from in-state Jackson, Alabama, extremely fast. You know, Kevin Steele, the defensive coordinator, has really put a premium on speed, not so much on rankings. And, uh, you know, what you've seen is well, – well, let me ask this. When you look at uh, Auburn's secondary right now, I think you could argue, maybe I'm missing somebody, that Jamel Dean and Javaris Davis are the two most valuable guys. And what do they have in common? They're both lightning fast. So Nehemiah Pritchett in that mold, not the biggest guy in the world, six feet, 175 pounds, but extremely fast. I would think he'd probably be committing soon. Uh, now, with the defensive line, the buck linebacker positions as well – uh, the two guys to watch, and, and they both, it looks like, will be announcing in August, Colby Wooden being one. 
He's out of Lawrenceville, Georgia's Archer High School, just northeast of Atlanta. A big defensive end considering Auburn and uh, and Clemson. It's really down to those schools for the most part. Six feet four, 240-ish pounds. Looks like Auburn's got a good lead right now. He expects to announce his commitment on August 16th. And that same week, you could see Zion Puckett, a defensive back out of Georgia, announce. And he has Auburn in front, too, with Alabama and Ohio State right behind. But at the buck position, the, the pass rusher position, Jeff Lawson, uh, Jeff Lawson, excuse me, Jeff Holland and Carl Lawson, uh, the guy to watch is a kid named Derek Hall. He's out of Gulfport, Mississippi. Auburn leads Mississippi State close behind FSU making a run. There's a good chance he's going to announce in August if he if, if right now it looks like Auburn's the team to beat. I mean, he's he's saying Auburn leads, but sometimes when kids say that, they don't necessarily mean it. But it feels like he's being genuine. Auburn leads. He's going to sit down with his mother this weekend. They're going to hash things out. You could see a decision from him this uh, this month, and if you can get Derek Hall, the Buck, and Colby Wooden, the uh, defensive end, strong side defensive end, I should say, then Auburn would have four guys essentially on the defensive line committed and probably would only need one more going into the season. That's a pretty good luxury. That means you can be patient. Uh, a lot of guys are committing early these days, earlier and earlier. However, if four of the probably five spots you want to fill um, are are done, you're done with it, it's going to make – uh, Rodney Garner's life a lot easier. He can focus on a handful of guys and then obviously concentrate on the season. Uh, so it's going to be interesting, but it, it could be a big month for Auburn, no doubt. Certainly sounds like Rodney Garner's doing another phenomenal job on the recruiting trail right now. Um, just he just he just pulls them in those defensive ends, those defensive linemen all the time. Uh, it's pretty pretty darn incredible. Uh, Keith, another quick thing. Usually when preseason camp opens, we'll see a recruiter two. That won't be the case this season. Yeah, it's uh, interesting that the month of August is now dead by NCAA terms, and that means that Gus Malzahn and his staff can't go out on the road to see kids, and, which you wouldn't normally do in August anyway, but you can't go out on the road to see kids in August, and they can't come see you. And I think uh, it's probably good for the players, and it's probably good for the coaches. The players, the recruits, they can focus on their current teams. And, you know, I think everybody loves when they come to Auburn and they do well and all that stuff, but you know, they owe it to their high schools to play hard too. Those are the, those are the people that are, you know, getting them these opportunities. And then if you're an Auburn coach, you, yes, you still have to recruit. Uh, you still got to call kids. You still got to message them and all that stuff, but hosting them while fall camp is in, in session. And you guys know, Philip and Brandon, I mean, those guys, those coaches are busy. They're me It's mentally grueling, not only for the players in August, but for the coaches. I mean, this is now, getting to nitty gritty time for those guys. And they don't really need to be hosting recruits. They're focused and they'll tell you that needs to be on their current team. So I think it's a win-win, but uh, it's different. You know, they're used to having kids there. You get used to certain things. You get used to hosting kids. And so it's going to be a little bit different, uh, but uh, no more recruits on campus in August. First, uh, there'll be, you know, obviously in September when you start hosting games, they will be able to be at those, no doubt. You know, uh, the coaches I've talked to, all like like that they they all think it's a good thing uh because as you say they could they can focus on uh on on their team and getting their team ready to play more and not having to 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 deal with a, a player and his family and his high school coach or whoever's came comes with him and and uh and uh at a time when you don't really have any time so i, I think for what like i said the ones i've talked to think it's th think it's a really good thing We'll go back to the bottom of the message board. Go crazy Cadillac asks about the philosophical change that Alan Green brings to the athletic department. Does it feel like a different culture from when Jay Jacobs was in charge? And what are his long-term goals for the department? And how does he plan on getting there? 
Philip, just from talking to folks and even talking to Alan Green, what what are your impressions of of the new AD here in his first six months or so on the job? Well, it's definitely different. There's no question about that. And uh, uh, I guess the thing that I've been struck by as much, I mean, he is a very engaging, very uh, very enjoyable guy to talk to. Uh, uh, but uh, I've been struck by his, his patience, I guess would be the best way to put it. He is... He is uh, still still kind of getting the lay of the land and 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 figuring things out and how to go about getting things done and that's that's really the challenge. Uh, you know the the subject of a football facility comes up all the time and uh, I've been saying for a long time they needed to do that and and you know it's it's easy to say it's not so necessarily easy to do and. Uh, and you have a board of trustees that's not, that's not uh, all that uh, eager to to uh, commit lots of money and uh, without to something that's not that doesn't have a tangible return. And uh, so I think he's he's trying to figure those things out. I think you know he has said in, in a couple of speeches that Auburn's facilities, and I don't think he's talking about just football. Uh, are not where they need to be for a program of uh, of its stature, and he wants to do something about it. and And you've written about it, some Brandon, about you know to to get it done, uh, it's going to take some fundraising. And uh, uh, so we'll see. I, I think that's his uh, his obviously his background. There's a lot of fundraising in his background. Guys, people he's hired have had a lot of fundraising in their background. But I, I do think also that he is he has and is in the process of making the department leaner. It was, there's no question. It was really bloated. And there was a, a, a lot of people there making a lot of money. And, and, uh, I think it's going to be a leaner, a leaner, a somewhat smaller operation going forward. Yeah. Philip, I remember you writing, uh, a while back, even before, uh, I think Jay Jacobs, uh, stepped down that Auburn had the, the biggest administrative staff when you compare right. it to their two rivals, Georgia and Alabama, which actually that, that shocked me quite a bit by, when, by, by a significant margin too. Yeah. And you walk down those hallways. There's no doubt it is. Cause you're, we're running into people every day. We're like, who is that person? Yeah. Who's that guy? Um, but yeah, my first impressions of Alan green are very similar. I think he's still trying to get the lay of the land. Um, he obviously wants a football facility and everybody's asking that question. Gus Malzahn wants it. But he's got to find the money. Uh, someone, some people have got to step up. And as you mentioned, the Board of Trustees is kind of tight with that when it comes to let's spend a lot of money on a capital project. And we've seen that recently at the tail end of the Jay Jacobs era. There was two or three times they were trying to push forward renovation at Jordan-Hare Stadium, and it never really got off the ground. Now, football facility is a different thing all on its own. It's cheaper for one, but number two, you know, the, the the boosters that got to give you money, they've got to be fully supportive of the football program and Gus Malzahn and, you know, not to talk down anybody, but there's some boosters out there that are kind of down on Gus Malzahn and upset that he got this big new contract and then lost two straight games in the season. But listen, you got to look long-term more than short-term for the good of the program. Auburn needs a football facility. And, uh, you know, if you're a booster out there that wants to see F- Auburn football take that next step, I think part of that is building a football facility and helping things out because it not only helps the current coaching staff, it's going to help whoever the next coaching staff right, is. Exactly. And it's going to help the future 
kids coming in and recruiting. Auburn's falling behind and has already fallen behind from that standpoint. In fact, uh, just on Wednesday, I believe, or maybe it was Thursday, uh, South Carolina announced right. that they were building a football right. facility for Will Muschamp. So Auburn's falling behind there, and they've got to make a decision uh, some sort there, and it's going to take some time. I, I keep hearing that they're trying to aim for potentially after the football season where they might drum up enough support to be able to start moving forward with some stuff. But as it stands right now, uh, things are kind of stagnant right there. There's a lot, I want to say stagnant. Uh, Alan Green's like a duck on water. His feet are moving really, really fast beneath the uh, the, the water there. You just can't see it right now. Right. I, I don't really, you know, and, uh, and you know, I, a lot of those trustees are people I've known for years, and I'm not certainly criticizing any of them personally. But, you know, I've, I've heard people say before, you have to spend for where you want to be. And, uh, and look, this whole facilities thing is dangerous for everybody financially. Everybody knows that. I mean, most of this stuff's built with borrowed money, uh, uh, and it's dangerous. But if, if you're going to swim in the big pond, you got to swim in the big pond. And, and Auburn just cannot afford to be to become as they're rapidly becoming with that with that one thing the uh, behind almost behind all their competition that matters. And uh, uh, at some point, I, at some point, I think you raise as much money as you can, and then you do what you have to do to get it done. Because if you don't, you're look you're looking worse all the time. I mean, if if South Carolina can do it, Auburn can do it. Or I mean, it's. Uh, there's no way to to look at it and say, okay, well, this is going to make, you know, a stadium addition or upgrade or whatever. You could say, well, this is going to make a, we're going to be able to sell this many more tickets and this many more licenses or whatever, and uh, and eventually it'll pay for itself. Well, there's no tangible amount of money. A football facility can't you can't say it's going to make X amount of money, but how much money does it, how much money does it make when you win big? I mean, and that's the thing. It's uh, if if you're gonna if you're gonna consider yourself on the same level with Alabama and Georgia and, and all the rest, then you got to be able to do what they can do. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of when Georgia was having a tough time for whatever reason, building an indoor practice facility. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, very strange. Weird. Very yeah, strange. Weird. Um, let's move forward here. AU tiger 99 asks a couple of questions. Um, he wants to know what we believe the trap games will be for Auburn this season and why and he also wants season predictions. I'm not quite ready to say a no, win total or anything either. like that. Me either. But so let's stick with the trap games and why. What are some games on that schedule, Phillip and Keith, that Auburn fans have got to really be focused on that maybe don't seem like, you know, uh, tremendous challenges when you look at the big picture and see Alabama and Georgia there? Well, here's the thing to me. And uh, Auburn has five games away from Jordan-Hare Stadium. And uh, – and that's the five nationally ranked teams they're playing. That's kind of an amazing thing. I've never, not sure I've ever seen that before. Uh, it's, it's, it's Washington and Georgia and Alabama and Mississippi State and LSU, who was number 24 in the poll today. And that LSU's the only, I say five, that's four of the five. LSU is the only one that's at Auburn. And uh, um, that's a lot. So I wouldn't call any of those trap games because they're all, Good games, uh, you know, and and LSU's the lowest ranked team, and they come to to Auburn. So the Auburn, highest ranked right. teams are all on the road for Auburn. Right, those are obviously games that can be lost, but I don't, I wouldn't call them trap games though. To me, if you're talking about a trap game, I assume you're talking about a game you would think they would win, but they might not. And uh, I would say 
Ole Miss uh, over there. Uh, um, now, again, Mississippi State, that's one of those teams we just mentioned, so I, I don't know if I'd call it a trap game. Obviously, it's going to be a challenging game. Uh, and who knows about Texas A&M? I mean, Auburn, Auburn and Texas A&M are both winless at, the, at home in their series. So, I mean, Auburn's 0-3, and so was the, at, at, and at Jordan-Harris Stadium, and Texas A&M is 0-3 against Auburn at Kyle Field. So, I guess you'd have to call that one. Well, you know, they're both also winless right now. They haven't played a game yet. So how do we even really know? We're thinking Auburn's going to be pretty good. We're thinking A&M is going to be in this big transitional year. But, Philip, you, you're the one that writes it all the time. You can't predict these things. By the time that game comes around, A&M could be unbeaten and Auburn could be at 500. We just don't know. But looking at it from right now, I'd say A&M would be, would be one that stands out. Uh, if Auburn goes to an Ole Miss and, and wins and then has Georgia the next week, uh, you know, coming off an emotional game at Ole Miss or, or, you know, always a good SEC West game. And then Georgia the next week, that that would be a tricky one, especially given that you're right, that they they haven't played well at home against A&M under Gus. But also Jimbo Fisher understands the dynamics of the SEC. I hadn't been in it in a long time, but he's, you know, he he gets it. He's played these teams before. Um, I, I doubt he's going to go into too many games where his team isn't ready to play. But it's just too hard to predict right now. We don't, first of all, we don't know how good Auburn's going to be. Uh, I think they're going to. I think they're going to be really good, but I don't know. Let me ask y'all a question. Can you tell me a team that was a spread team like Texas A&M and then switched to a pro style and had success the first year? I, I can't because I, I can't the, the most recent one. the most recent one in the SEC is Arkansas, and man, did they struggle, and then they fired their coach. Right. I can't think of even one. Well, especially when you figure, you know, who are their court, who's their quarterback going to be at, at right. and, you know, that's that's the other thing we don't I know. Mean, I mean, it got Mac Mac Brown fired at Texas, and it got Gene Chizik fired at Auburn. Trying to do that, and I'm not saying it's the same thing because this is a new coach, but you can switch easily the other way, as long as you got fast guys. But uh, uh, it's going the going from from the, from spread it out to being a pro style from. I can't think of anybody who's done it successfully immediately. And I just think it's going to be a struggle for Texas A&M. Yeah, potentially could be. Um, my two trap games are actually one was Texas A&M um, just because I, I, I've got all the confidence in the world in Jimbo Fisher as a quarterback guru and as a head coach and trying to figure things out. But as you said, I mean, transitioning to a pro-style attack, especially after all those years, of using a spread offense and all those players being recruited and coached up in that, that's difficult. But Texas A&M might be clicking at that point in the season. We just don't know. And then my other trap game was actually Mississippi State, and I know they're ranked number 18 in the coaches' poll, but everybody talks about Mississippi State returning all these starters, I think 17, 16 starters. Well, Auburn returns quite a few starters, and those same 17 starters that Mississippi State had, well, they were blown out in back-to-back years by Auburn. Uh, right. on the road and at Auburn. So I think that's a bit of a trap game. Nick Fitzgerald, the quarterback, he puts up big numbers, but they're usually against lesser quality opponents. He's really struggled against Auburn these last two seasons, some of these big teams. But with another year under his belt, and he's got some a much better defensive line to really help him out with Jeffrey Simmons and those guys, I think that could be a game going on the road for Auburn at that point in the season. <sighs> where you know maybe Mississippi State's about where they are right now in the rankings, but that could be a game that Auburn 
goes in and loses, and all of a sudden Auburn's in you know top twenty range, and then really trying to fight an uphill battle going down the stretch the rest of the season. It'll be interesting to watch. And Very we'll interesting. Um, one more question from the board, um, and I've noticed this too, and I've wondered. And I don't know what metrics these preseason magazines and all these experts use, but a lot of folks are like ranking Auburn's strength of schedule in the 30s, and yet this schedule seems increasingly tough every year. Is are folks kind of underrating on a national perspective Auburn's strength of schedule this season? Well, I think I think he's excuse me, Keith. Uh, go ahead. Well, no, Philip. I was just going to say. I mean. I think a lot of these people that put these things together sometimes often only use uh, the you know the record from the previous year or, or whatever. But look at just the top three teams. I mean, I think you have to weigh heavily. In other words, a lot of years Notre Dame has considered a really tough schedule because every game is quote unquote losable. Let's say, however, you know Pitt can beat you. Let's say, but Pitt is in Alabama, Georgia, or Washington. In other words, when you look at the high end of the schedule for Auburn just the top four or five teams they play, could you find anyone that plays four or five teams that hard? No. And so, therefore, already just from the start, it's got to be one of the toughest schedules. That's just my opinion. I don't know if any of that makes sense. but I, I agree 100%. And I, I think that the, you know, things become popular, it seems like, too. And right now it's popular to diss the SEC because they only play eight, eight conference games and they play FCS teams and all that. To me, what matters to me is who do you play that can beat you? And who do you play that can't beat you? And whoever can't beat you, it doesn't matter to me if it's an FCS team or if it's a – I mean, if you play Kansas, they can't beat you. If you play Western Carolina, they can't beat you. It's, you know, it's still the same thing. And uh, uh, it's just hard for me to imagine – you know, three out, three out of the top – if you go, go on the preseason poll, three out of the top six, four, five out of the top – 24 uh that's pretty rough and that doesn't include some other games against against teams that i mean like i said texas a&m arkansas Ole miss i think you know you, you don't know which of those teams might jump up there and suddenly be suddenly be good that nobody expects i mean go back to 2013 i mean auburn played in the championship game and i don't think they were ranked until the ninth week of the season you just never know. You just never no, know. You never know. Everybody's got enough good players that if things fall right and if they keep the right guys healthy, that they can steal one here or there, and all of a sudden that they're they're uh, rolling. Yep. Well, how about the fact that just two of the games, just the Alabama and Georgia games alone, are on the road? So you got the two teams that played for the national championship last year. Both of them <laughs> lost a lot of players, but both of them returned a lot of good players. Well, You're playing yeah. both. The road yeah i know i mean it's uh it's uh you know and i don't uh, you know I, I don't know enough about washington except their quarterback but everything i read and uh, i think that's going to be an ex- extremely difficult game and uh um it's uh well I, I i don't i would just put it this way i don't think there are many teams out there that would willingly swap schedules with auburn i'll put it that way yeah i don't think so either <laughs> uh, i mean it's 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 kind of ridiculous and then you can see why gus malzahn's fighting so hard to try and move that georgia game and, yeah. and fix the hiccup though that's probably not going to work happen for a while uh, yeah I mean, a good while yeah um guys i, I 
obviously college football right now headlines are being dominated by what's happened at Ohio State uh, with some allegations involving a former assistant coach Ohio State uh, abusing his uh, now ex-wife and whether Urban Meyer knew about it or not. Brett McMurphy, who's a tremendous reporter and has been doing this for a long time, uncovered some texts between Urban Meyer's wife and and the ex-wife of the former assistant coach. And now there's questions of whether Urban Meyer knew about this several years ago and didn't take any action with the assistant coach, which, according to his contract, he's got to make people aware of this in official positions to take care of these situations. Philip, um, whenever you hear allegations like this uh, about a man hitting a woman, it Uh. immediately angers me, and I'm sure it angers a lot of people. It's cowardice. But I think not necessarily worse. The worst thing is to hit a woman, but to be complicit in it and not act on it. If you know about it as a boss in a situation where coaches and coaches wives are so close together, they're a close knit family that really upsets me. Of course, this is all allegations and Ohio state's opened up its own investigation as urban Meyer, the head coach has been played on place on paid administrative leave. But I believe Ohio state's probably going to move pretty quickly on this and make a decision on urban Meyer's future. What's your take on this entire situation, Philip? It's uh, it's pretty disgusting, in, in my opinion. Well, having a daughter and two granddaughters and a wife, uh, I can't even imagine the rage I would feel if somebody was, was abusing any of them. Uh, uh, it is the worst kind of cowardice. And, uh, you know, I just, it's, it's, it's awful. And there's no question that Urban Meyer knew what was going on in 2009. He claims he didn't know what was going. He hired the guy anyway, when he went to Ohio state, uh, he claims he didn't know anything about 2015, but here's the thing. And, and people have to remember this. We're not talking about a court of law here. Uh, it doesn't have to be proved beyond, uh, some sort of reasonable doubt standard. And it, it, as, uh, as I think I posted on a, on a thread on the message board today, it absolutely defies reason that his wife would know about it. His ops guy, who was his most loyal staff member, who, who actually helped talk the lady, Zach Smith's wife, Courtney out of pressing charges in 2009 that, that all those people knew about it. And, uh, and they just decided not to tell urban about it makes, I, I just, that's, uh, that's my circumstance, call it circumstantial if you want to, but it's, it's, it's enough for me. And, uh, I, I just think it's these guys, some of these coaches, uh, they got their, their fiefdom going and. They they think they're big. They think they're bigger than life, and that they can do anything they want to, and uh, and do, and uh, and in this case, unless to me, unless he can show, if I was in charge, unless he could show me, if he could convince me that somehow he didn't have a clue, it'd be time to move on. Ohio State, 
Ohio State was winning football games before, yep. before Urban Meyer got there, and they'll keep winning them after he leaves. And I, I, uh, I yeah, yeah. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't under, I just don't understand the entire idea that he didn't know somehow. Because as I mentioned, coaches and coaches' wives, they're so tight knit. The coaches yep. are all in the same building for most of the day and the night. The coaches' wives are coming in and out of the building, giving them lunch or just hanging out and talking. And I know for a fact, Urban Meyer's wife keeps in contact with a lot of folks. I remember one time hanging out with Dan Mullen's wife for a story I was doing, and the two of them were texting back and forth. And they weren't even their 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 husbands weren't even working together at the time. So it's obvious that she's very well connected, and I'm sure she discussed. I mean, what wife or husband does not discuss their day with their significant other? And what well, they've been told, especially when it involves a coworker. Yeah, and and and, and hey, you know, Urban, you, you you need to know. I mean, this is what this is what this lady says is happening to her, and she's got pictures. I mean, it's just, well, you know, there, there's several things about this story that blow my mind about what she said, and uh, I watched the interview, the the video interview uh, yesterday, and uh, which was very compelling. But when the first incident happened in 2009 and he was a GA and she was, I think, 24 years old and pregnant with her first child. And, uh, she said she told his parents about it and her parents about it. And they encouraged her not to press charges because he wouldn't be able to get a job. And then what would they do? I, I, that, that blew my mind. If, if my daughter, yeah. look, I, my son-in-law was awesome. He is a great guy and I, I respect him greatly and he has always treated my daughter with respect. And, and, uh, but if my daughter had called me and said he did those things, <laughs> my response would not have been, well, you better not press charges cause he'll lose his job. <laughs> that would not have been my response. I'm, I'm convinced of that. I think you would have been texting your wife, please find the nearest bail bondsman. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> No, I, uh, I feel like, uh, you know, uh, I, you know, when I was a kid, I, I guess I can share this, you know, my sister had some issues with the person in her life. And I can tell you right now, my dad wasn't a physical guy, but when he got wind of this, that something similar had, like this had happened to my sister, I can tell you that a, a fist was put very close to the throat of the young man that had, uh, had, uh, done some things to our family. So I, I think that you're right. I think Philip, I mean, how, you know, this is a, the kind of stuff that upsets people. One of the things that, that gets me is that so many coaches, not all of them now, look, we know a lot of these guys, they're fantastic guys, but a lot right. of them, spend, a lot of them spend a lot of their time, head coaches spending a lot of their time trying to convince the media that they know everything inside their program. And we don't. Okay? Yep, exactly. And, uh, except when the, you know, what hits the fan. And then all of a sudden they don't know what's going on inside their program. Yep. How, you know, how can I know everything? I, I can't be around 85 guys. They, they know everything right up until the moment where they know nothing. And then the second thing is, you know, most college coaches, head coaches at big programs end up getting fired at some point. That's just the nature of the job. Very few go out as legends. But look at Ohio State. Uh, three coaches, legendary. Yep, yep, yep. Woody Hayes Punch is a, a guy on the sideline. Uh, I almost said John Cooper. He wasn't a legendary coach, but uh, 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 you know the other guy, Jim Tressel, gets uh, unceremoniously has to exit the program, and now this and 
you know, that's a that's a real black eye on that program. I guess that's a bad choice of words. I, I shouldn't have said that, but you, you get my drift. Uh, and, yeah, it, not only that, it, they've also got this going on with these re- former wrestlers. Wrestlers, yep, yep. Uh, uh, going on at, at the same time as this. It's it's not a good look, and I think I think Ohio State, and I think judging by their statement yesterday, it certainly seems like they're going to move swiftly on this. And I'm with you, Philip. Unless Urban Meyer can somehow prove he did not know, which I do not believe anyone it would be able to do so, um, I, I think they'll fire him. Uh, Here's I don't the think problem: they have a if he didn't know, if he didn't know, it's because he chose not to know. Right. That, that's to me. That, that's that's the obvious thing. And you know, this, it's an NCAA term, and this is not an NCAA matter, but knew or should have known. And uh, and he clearly should have known, and I don't have any question he did know. But if he didn't, it's because he had made it clear he didn't want to. Well, did uh, know or didn't know. I mean, I mean, either way, he looks like a, a kind of a buffoon, quite frankly. Well, he looks like a person whose priorities are all out of kilter. Well, I think his priorities have been out of kilter for most of his coaching life based off his history. Let's yeah. be honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look at the stuff that happened in Florida when he was there. Right. Uh, so, I, you know, I'll be surprised if he keeps his job. I've been surprised before, but it's going to be hard for them to, it's it's going to be hard for them to explain. And, and, you know, and I heard Brett, uh, who you're right is a, is a very fine reporter. And, uh, he had to take some, he had to take some real delight in the, it took ESPN like five hours to to acknowledge that. Story. Yeah. How about that? That's just incredible. <laughs> well, it's just but, incredible. But, but as I heard him on a radio interview, and he made a very good point, which is there is not there is not one anonymous source in that story. Right. Yeah. It's either it's either it's either quotes or documents. Yeah, documents hey, themselves, text messages, uh, yep. vi- uh, photos, and then of course they did yeah. the sit down video, video interview. It's incredible. Well, like, here's one other thing: the genie's out of the bottle now. You're going to have the New York Times, the Washington Post, everybody and their brother is going to be sending reporters to Columbus no to question. get Kingsville. You know what I mean? And, and no so question. you don't know what else is going to come out. And the, it's just a PR nightmare. You've got to, they're going to have to, they're going well, to have to. It in the here's bus. the other thing. Urban Meyer tried to dodge it or what the question or whatever at, uh, at big 10 media days or whatever. And it was almost it like, worse. and it made it worse. And then it's almost like that, that opened things up further for Brett McMurphy to go in and get these people yep. to talk uh, and be more open about it. And once again, you know, listen, the cover up and the lying, I wouldn't say is always yeah. worse the initial action, always, but always. never try to lie and cover something up that you know would get you in trouble. <laughs> Come out and say something different than what you did, but he he's, he's dug his own grave with this. I think. You know, if he would have come, if he would have answered that question, if he would have said, "Well, you know, you, you know, I, I talked to him, I talked to other people, and I just could, I, I, I couldn't really get a handle on what was going on, and uh, and." I made the decision not to, not to do anything, and maybe it was a bad one. And if it was, I apologize. And and if you just do that, you probably don't get fired. This day and but, age, but, this but it's, it's cover up. It's just get you yeah. every time. This day and age, coaches need to know, based off what's happened over the last eight nine years, that you cannot hide from your problems anymore. You cannot cover things up because at some point it's going to get out and it's going to cost you your job, your reputation, and your legacy. Well, just do the right thing. That's just do the right thing. Just do the right thing. Don't try and, to outsmart that, everybody because you're not going to outsmart anybody. Don't try to outsmart everybody. 
Don't don't try. Don't don't even consider what it might mean to how many games you win. Just do the right thing. That's all you got to do. Just do the right thing. And that seems to be really hard sometimes for, I mean, it's hard for all of us sometimes, but in, in situations like that, I mean, just, I mean, it's very clear what he's supposed to do. It's very clear what he's supposed to do. Just do it. And if it's, I, and if it's, it's Earl Bruce's grandson, that's unfortunate, but still you got to do, you got to do the right thing. Exactly. Well, guys, that's going to do it. I believe for the Auburn undercover round table, we haven't done one of these in a while. We will try to do these a little bit more often, especially as the season gets kicked off uh, a lot of recruiting coverage right now uh, at auburnundercover.com. A lot of team coverage going on as Auburn schedules uh, to open practice on Friday. And we've got a special going on at auburnundercover.com right now. Get five months for the price of one. That's nine ninety five through January 2nd. 2019 it's our best deal of the year go sign up now and check that out philip keith thank you very much for joining me all right guys enjoyed it